Take your seat and uh, wait a sing. Mm. This is normally the time in the service when I say, please open your Bibles, but I'm going to ask something completely different today. I'm going to ask, actually ask you, please do not open your Bibles right now. And in fact, if you have, could you close it, put it on your lap, put it on the floor for a little bit, because I want for you to do some listening and some imagining and some picturing along with me here today. I want to begin with this. Imagine that it's in 30-ish AD. Imagine you're in Israel, in Jerusalem. I want for you to imagine at this point in time that it's early spring and that it's the week of Passover. What week is it? Passover week. It's the week when the work of Christ will fulfill the unfulfilled pieces of the Godhead's redemption plan. Friends, you are in a week unlike any other week in human history. This is a huge week. And being that you're there, and being that you're trying to figure out who you are there, I'm going to give you, you are one of the disciples, okay? Just put that in your head. You are one of the disciples that has been following Jesus now for, let's just say, some three years. And you are in Jerusalem. And what week is it? Passover week. And let's remember the week, Monday. Monday was the triumphal entry. It's deity on a donkey. It was the day when, to your thrill... You saw tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people lining the way into the city and the temple in Jerusalem, lining the way, cheering and and just going crazy like Super Bowl was just one. They're they're crying out to Christ that, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, come, take your throne, be our king. They were looking for a savior, maybe not quite the savior that Jesus was looking to be, but the triumphal entry, what a very, very cool day it was for you. By the way, at the end of Monday, do you remember when you just kind of all went, you remember this? You all went, you just kind of walked around the temple and just kind of an evening stroll, sun not quite set yet, and you're looking around and Jesus just looking around and Nothing much is said, but you're just checking it out, and then you head out. And you walk back to Bethany and the suburbs, and you, um, you stay the night there. Then the next day, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, and you head back in. And what week is it? Passover week. Probably some two million people in the surrounding area. And, and you head back in on Tuesday, and, and Jesus has a mission, and it is the WWF raucous in the temple. And Jesus comes in, turns the tables over, and he's like, this is not a den of robbers. What are you doing here? This is a place of prayer. This is a place of worship. Stop it. Caused a ruckus. His name was already known, but now it was really known that day. And Tuesday ends and you head back out to Bethany, stay the night, then it's Wednesday, you wake up on Wednesday, and you really don't know this, but Wednesday is going to be a day with a lot of events going. By the way, when you head home today, it's still Wednesday in this time period. 
So what happens on Wednesday? Well, Wednesday they head back into the temple and in light of the raucous the day before, uh, some of the leadership has some questions for Jesus. And in fact, they're really not trying to find out and learn some things. They're trying to trap him because Jesus has totally irritated them and now it's time to put him to death. And so they essentially are trying to trap him. They come in and Pastor Brock had talked about this and there were four questions. The first one is really a good question. Hey, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus handles that one. And then the next one, hey, uh, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? And Jesus handles that one. And then the third one is kind of like really whack. It's like, hey, there's seven brothers the first one gets married, and then he dies, and then she marries the next, and he dies. It's like she's like the black widow or something here. And, you know, this is all going on, and then, uh, and then it goes blah, 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 blah. So whose husband is her husband in heaven? And Jesus is like, are you serious? And he handles that question. And then the fourth one, another good one. Jesus, which of the commandments is the greatest? Jesus very succinctly says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And by the way, I'm going to give you bonus point because here's second item too. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then it's like, any more questions for Jesus? And they're like, no, I think we just need to be quiet because he utterly humiliated them in their attempts to trap him. You can't punk Jesus. You just can't. So then Jesus, shortly thereafter, says, uh, by the way, folks, don't be like these guys, the guys who are just trying to play the games with me. Don't be like them. And he teaches a little bit, and then after a little while, they're in where the offerings are taken. And Jesus is sitting there, and the text tells us that he's just watching people. I like to do that. You like to do that. And he's just watching people. And then there's a moment where he says, hey, everybody, come here, come here, come here, come here a second. Because you're one of the disciples. Come here a second. Do you see the lady over there? You see that elderly widow over there putting in everything that she has? Hey, guys, I'm telling you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Be like that. Way to go, girl. Be like that all in. All in. And then we find in the text... Later in the day, on Wednesday, they head out of the temple. Now they're outside the temple. Now on the way out, one of the disciples says, look at that place. Is that not amazing? And friends, it was. 37 acres of complex construction that was amazing. And he was basically saying, is that not an amazing place? They saw that place as that's where God resided. And then Jesus responds and he says, guys, uh, I'm going to blow your verbal party in your minds. And by the way, it's all going down. We find them a little bit later that day on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple. So here we are right now for today. We're sitting on the Mount of Olives together And all of a sudden, one of the disciples asked Jesus, hey, uh, some of the disciples, hey, Jesus, you know, the whole thing about that temple thing going down, like, when is that going to happen? And what are some signs of that when that's going to happen? 
And Jesus begins to explain it to them. So here's what I want for us to do. I want for you with your Bibles down, we're on the Mount of Olives, and this is what Jesus says in response. Listen to what he says as you look over the temple ground area. You must see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, you must not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginning of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors for my name's sake. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial, and when they deliver you over, you must not be anxious beforehand as to what you're to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Perseverance is the proof of your profession. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, you must not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But you must be on your guard. I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then 
You will send the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near, don't you? So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man on a journey. When he leaves home, puts his servants in charge, each take his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. Whether it will be in the evening or in the morning or at midnight or when the rooster crows. You don't know lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Question. And I literally want for you to respond. Second service, you're my quiet group. I want for you to respond. With what I just read in you verbally hearing, The disciples didn't have this all written out and printed out for them to follow along. With them verbally hearing, what are some things that stick out to you? What are some things as you heard that you're going, oh oh, man, this stuck in my mind or Jesus was pressing that. Just real quick, what are some things of that? What are some things? What was that? Stay awake, awake. be on your guard. What else? Don't be alarmed. Don't be fooled. Yeah, perseverance. Don't be led astray. Yeah. At the gate. I'm sorry? The birth pains. Closer together. More intense. Lord, I pray as we dig into the rest of this passage that we would hear what you are saying that we would grab a hold of what you want us to know and that we would do what you want us to do. Help us, Lord. We're frail people. We don't get a lot of things. We're not the sharpest crayons in the box. But neither were the disciples. So help us understand. More of you, Lord, more of you. In Christ's name, amen. Harvest, please now open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. By the way, how blessed we are to have God's words in written form. How blessed we are to have that. Two Sundays ago, we were in the first half of Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 23, and some review items here. Uh, I've called this chapter the buckle up chapter. Buckle up. 
And in it, we saw that uh, Jesus is kind of saying, hey, boys, buckle up because things are going to get crazy and wild. And we kind of broke it into three things. Number one, horror is coming. And we saw that in the beginning portion of that. And then Jesus talks about how persecution is going to be coming. And then third, he talks about how tribulation, oppression is going to be a coming. And he's like, know that, guys. You need to know that information. You need to know that data. Yet, I also want to remind us that within the giving of that data, Jesus also says something to do in there. Friends, this this whole uh, teaching that Jesus gives is just uh, clustered with what is called imperative verbs in the Greek. They are commands, they are actions, they they are not suggestions, they are not, I wish you would, but instead they are like, you must do this. All right, And we cannot miss these in here because they are imperative <laughs> that we see them. The first one was in verse 7 where he says, do not be alarmed. You must not be alarmed. Secondly, verse 11, he says, you must not be anxious. By the way, when all kinds of horror, persecution, and tribulation is going on, those are two things to do that are very hard not to do them, Right? I mean, to be alarmed by things, to be anxious about things. We're supposed to be people, Jesus is saying, those who are in Christ, we're supposed to be people where those are not traits of us. We'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. Then verse 23, he adds, you must be on your guard. Be on your best game. Don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. Be on your best game. I'd like to note here a summary of this. Basically, what Jesus has done in the first half, as well as he's doing in the second half, is he is saying, I want you to know some data. I want you to know some data, but I also want for you to do some actions. It's not just about knowing. Let me say it this way. Knowing is not necessarily doing Knowing something is not necessarily doing it. Well, I know I'm supposed to do that, (laughs) but I don't want to. We all get that, right? That's the way it is. Knowing is not doing. Knowing what Jesus said does not equate to doing what Jesus said. But knowing drives our doing. Knowing fuels our action. Jesus told us some things to know that we might do some things he's asked of us. And basically he's saying, hey, you need to know that some bad stuff is coming and you need to know that and you need to do some things in light of that. Not be alarmed, not be anxious on your game. Have you watched the news lately and just been alarmed? I I have. Did you see the thing about guy burned alive? That's alarming. But but I want to try and help us understand. That's alarming and that's staggering and that's stunning and that's evil and that's wicked and that's horrific. 
And yet there's a part of it to where we are to understand that these are things that are going to be coming. So we're alarmed, but we're not alarmed. Anxious. These are days where there's things like, especially if you have little kids, you're like, what in the world is the world going to turn into for my children or for my grandchildren? And I get that. I understand that. But I want for us to know and come out of the text today, coming to see that, listen, there's an aspect of this where in anxiety, there is a confidence of knowing that God has this in control. And he is moving all things to a purpose. Don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. Be on game. Well, Jesus didn't stop at verse 23. Let's pick up from there. Verse 24 through 27. But in those days, Jesus is continuing, but in those days, after that tribulation, after that affliction, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. He's continuing to tell what's happening here. I want to just make a note here. This paragraph here in these verses, a good Bible-believing brothers and sisters in Christ have some different views on what is being referred to here. Some view this passage that Jesus is saying and giving these things like the earth and the the stars and the sun and the moon, they, they take and they view it as illustrative allegories coming out of the Old Testament that it's not literally that, but it's figuratively that. Uh, Some brothers and sisters in Christ have the view that everything that is taught here in all of Matthew 13 is, Mark 13 is essentially fulfilled in 70 AD. Why 70 AD? Because in 70 AD, it was still within their generation. We'll talk about that. Still within their generation. And it was the worst of times in that generation because the temple was slaughtered, flattened out. Titus, not Titus, one of the disciples, but Titus, one of the emperors, came in and went in and was uh, did an abomination of desolation, if you will, in the temple area. It was the worst of times in that generation's day. And so there are some who say all of what we're talking about has already happened in history past. But I just want to let you know very clearly, friends, that I believe that all of this is future happening. It has not yet occurred. The things that we see here are universal, are beyond anything history has ever seen yet to date. And this is yet to happen. I understand Jesus to be saying after these horrific events that he's already talked about that are yet to come, after the horrors and the persecution and the tribulations, after all that bad stuff, more bad stuff is going to happen. More bad stuff. Jesus is like, you are such a a dude downer on this. But more bad stuff is happening. What does he talk about? Look at verse 24. But in those days, after that time of tribulation, by the way, whenever Mark gives movement marks, you need to pay attention to them. Mark only gives them in geography, in action, in places when they're really important. 
So there's a timing here. All the things that we talked about two Sundays ago, he's basically saying, after that time of all that, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I think that's literal. Verse 25, the stars will be falling from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Friends, cataclysmic astrological events are coming. Cataclysmic astrological events are then coming. And it's this idea that this whole universe is beginning to fall apart. The whole universe is beginning to disintegrate. And by the way, when you read this, this isn't like it's some local or regional disaster, but this is of universal proportions. All of the stable forces of creation will begin to fall apart. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that will do to life on the face of the earth when satellites and GPS and your cable TV won't work? Oh, horrific will that be? In all this, friends, don't miss the fact that Jesus in verses 24 to 25 is also alluding to his sustaining holding power on the universe. He holds it. By the way, Colossians chapter 1, he created it. He created it. The one that is giving this teaching, he's the very one that created everything. Oh, Doug, that can't be. Oh, it is. And if it's not, let's go home. If it's not true, let's pack up our bags, go home. But it is. This is the creator. And he's speaking. And he holds it all together. And when the Godhead releases itself, it just implodes. It falls apart. It disintegrates. And that is going to happen. It will, all things will begin collapsing in upon itself. And then, verse 26, and then they will see, uh, this is literal seeing, people in that day will actually be seeing the Son of Man, Daniel 7, talking about Jesus has referred to himself again and again as the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come in clouds with great power and great glory. Bring it on, man. I'm just like, bring it on. Uh, After the cataclysmic astrological events that are coming, fifth, the Son of Man is coming. The Son of Man is coming. He is And all things are moving to him. Jesus Christ is the supreme and final culminating component of everything. By the way, it's interesting. All their questions when they walked out of the temple were about the the grandness of the temple. And now they're up on the the, uh, uh, hill, Mount of Olives, talking, looking over the temple. And yet in all of that, uh, the people saw the temple. That's where the glory of God, the grandness of God resided. And Jesus has essentially just said, the place is going down because all things are moving not to a place, but to a person. the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's not about a place, it's about a person. It's not about a place, it's not even about heaven. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. 
That's where all things are moving to. The Son of Man is coming. And it doesn't stop there, verse 27. And then he, the Son of Man, will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds. By the way, if you don't like the word elect, um, you got to get over it. I lovingly say that. Uh, the Bible talks, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the chosen, the elect. It's like, I can't handle that. That doesn't seem fair. So, Doug, do you not believe that we choose the Lord? Oh, I absolutely do because the Bible says that too. But you can't believe both. I can too because the Bible says both. From God's view, we could not know him without his work in our lives. From our perspective, we chose the Lord. So embrace it, elect. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Friends, a grand gathering is coming. Oh my, a grand gathering is coming. The elect in Christ are gathered. They're ushered into the eternal kingdom. Oh, can you just imagine that? Oh, today, just today. Let's just get on with it. Oh, but I want to see my kid grow up. No, no, I'm just done with that. I just, let's get on with it. (laughs) Friends, right now, for those who are redeemed in Christ, there should be a yearning within us, a thing within us to where when we hear this kind of stuff, there's an anticipation and expectation that just grows up into us and roars. Does it? This place is not so great. Okay? I mean, even in this building, we've got a creaky roof. <laughs> I promise you there will not be one in heaven. This place is not so awesome. Teenagers, this place is not so awesome. But there is coming a day... When it will all be brought around, and it will all be brought around the person of Jesus Christ who will judge righteously and grab his elect and take him home. And if you in your mind right now are going, you are insane. What's your alternative? We live and die? Really? That's way more ridiculous than any of this. Friends, be amazed at what the Lord is doing. Last Sunday, by the way, thank you so much for allowing me last Sunday to... to uh, go over and minister in Peoria at Harvest there. Senior pastor there's head surgery and recovering. Tim's doing really well. But I went and I uh, preached last Sunday in Mark chapter 5, a text we went through together a while ago, Mark chapter 5. And it was where Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, comes on the other side, and there's the demon-possessed man. And, you know, he throws, casts all the demons in the pigs, you know, 2,000 pigs, oink, 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 off the cliff, and a million dollars off the cliff. And then the people around, they're, they're like amazed, but they say, please leave. And yet the demon, formerly demon-possessed man, now redeemed-possessed man, says, can I be with you? 
I was just pressing home and when I was the point of your amazement of Christ is directly tied to how you live for Christ. If you have a low amazement for Jesus, you will have low living for Jesus. But if you have much amazement in Jesus, they're coming out of that is, is just much more living for Jesus. So are you amazed by him? Or are you just kind of not that impressed by him? And here I bring this back after last Sunday to this text in verse 27 and I come out of this and I just go, your anticipation for the coming and the grand gathering of Christ is directly tied to your perspiration for Christ today. Your anticipation for this drives our perspiration now. This isn't just about stuff in the future. This is about stuff in the future that drives us today, is it? Is within you just welling up within you? Oh, Lord, bring it, let's go. It should move us to action today. And then in verse 28, Jesus turns from talking about the signs of the day to talking about the time of when these things are coming. Verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is where? What? Near. It's near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is, what? Near. At the very gates. Jesus now is talking about the time. He's looking there on the Mount of Olives. It's it's early spring. And he's grabbing an illustration that's right before them. When you see the leaves on the fig tree popping, summer's like right around the corner. He's like, guys, that's what I'm talking about. When all these things, when all these leaves begin taking place, know this. The end is right around the corner, near at the gate. So who knows when it's near? Verse 28 and 29 says, you know. Who's the you? Great question of grand debate. I think two things. One, the you can be the disciples or the you can be the people in the future at this time. Both grammatically can make sense. Let me just keep reading and add some more complication to that. Verse 30, Jesus goes on, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You, this generation. Now when you first hear that, reading that, and we don't have the inflection of the verbalness of it all, but you think, well, that is like the contemporary of the disciples' day, the contemporary people of Jesus' day, and and, and some good Bible-believing people take that view, that Jesus was telling them that everything that I've just talked about is going to happen to you disciples within your lifetime. And so what happens then is those individuals go back and they go, well, what happened in his lifetime, in their lifetime, well, 70 AD was the worst catastrophic period of time within their lifetime because the temple was chopped down. Jerusalem was, was wiped out. The Israelites were scattered among the nations. Um, I don't hold that view. Instead, grammatically, you can read through this and understand if you read it and the you can be referring to the people that are in that day, a future people to them in that day. 
A future generation that will see the signs and events that Jesus described in a magnitude fitting with that, with what Jesus said. Listen, 70 AD was a bad period of time in human history. The Holocaust, horrific time in human history. But friends, we have not seen anything like what Jesus is talking about and yet to come. By the way, all this is like a preempting to you. After Easter, we're going to start going through the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm, Let's go. Verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will not pass away. What a fitting statement, by the way. Verse 31, it's stated within this context of the heavens and the earth are passing away. It's all imploding. It's all just turning into a big catastrophe. But Jesus says, listen, guys, Heaven and earth will pass away. Everything that sin has touched will be made anew, Revelation tells us. But do know this, my words will never pass away. So whose words do we cling to here at this church? We cling to Jesus' words, not mine, not yours, but God's words. Because they will never pass away. And there's a confidence at times when we go, really? Really? This all sounds kind of crazy. No. But this is eternal communication. This is something far bigger than just what I can grab a hold of. By the way, may I remind us, how was everything created? Genesis chapter 1. Go through it. And it says, God spoke and it came to be. And then God spoke on day two. God spoke on day three. God spoke again. And listen, I used to be a part of designing and developing and inventing medical devices. And it took a lot of paper and a lot of work and a lot of time. And it just going through that, I wish I could have just spoken it. Like, Plasma thawing device. Boom. Bam. Ah! (laughs) It would have saved so much time. I can't do that. You can't do that. But he can. He can speak it and it is. By the way, that's why if he can speak it, he also has full control over it. Present heaven and earth will pass away, but a new heaven and earth will come. Doug, okay, that sounds awesome, but when, man? Just tell me when, man. Verse 32 to 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to, hey, doorkeeper, stay awake while I'm gone. Verse 35. Therefore, stay awake, guys. I don't know, maybe they were like dozing off. 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Oh, that wouldn't be good. Verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to who? All. Stay awake. God in his sovereignty decided not to tell us everything we want to know. But he also did tell us a lot of things for us to know. And know this. Know it. What he has told us, let's know it. Get happy with the data that he's given us. And let's not whine about the pieces that he hasn't given us. Because in his perfect sovereignty, he's decided for whatever reason, we're not man enough, woman enough, capable enough, whatever would distract us, enough to give us that. That's his information. That's why he's God and we're not. And so God has the information. He has the data, pieces of that he's told us, and we're to get at work at what he's called us to do. Remember, knowing is not doing and sometimes some people get so caught up in all this that they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk about end times, talk about end times, talk about end times, while people all around them do not know about Jesus. Knowing is not doing. Instead, knowing drives the doing. So what are we to know? Well, Mark 13, six things. Know that horror is coming. Know that persecution is coming. Boy, Doug, you're a downer. Know that tribulation is coming. Know that cataclysmic astrological events are coming. And then know that the Son of Man is coming visibly in power and in glory. And then know that the grand gathering of the elect from earth and from heavens are all coming together. Know these things, you guys. Know these things and hold on to them. Know them. But also know this. Jesus' discussion with the 12 was not just about helping them to know six pieces of information or a timeline. Jesus' discussion with them was about them knowing some information, but ultimately pushing them to do some things. Knowing is not doing. And Jesus is putting some knowing, but pressing to the doing. And so here's what... uh, let me ask this. Are you know more about are you more about data knowing or more about doing? We should be about both. But sometimes again we can get so caught up in the knowing the data that we leave aside the doing. And I just want us to see out of this, friends. Again, I'm pressing this home. There is data to be known, but it does not end with the data. It ends with the doing. Warren Wearsby said, our task is to be faithful and to be busy, not to be speculating or debating about the hidden details of prophecy. Daniel Aiken has said, we may not know when Jesus will return. I love this. However, we do know what we should be doing until he does. Doers of the word, not hearers only. So with that, let's kind of finish in this manner. Go to the very beginning of his talk. Go to verse 5. The very first thing, let's take a look at the very first thing and the last thing. The very first thing he says to the guys after they're like, tell us when will these things happen? What are the signs? He says, okay, listen, I want to start with this. 
See that no one leads you astray. Now go to the end. Go to verse 37. He wraps it all up. Okay, I've said all this, verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Do you notice that none of that is about getting all caught up in the details of the timeline? He's pressing them, don't be led astray and stay awake. Listen, you are easily led astray if you're not staying awake. You are hard to be led astray if you are staying awake. And then when you add, we've already talked about the other imperatives during the middle of verse 7. Do not be alarmed, people. Do not be anxious, people. Be on your guard, people. And then I'm going to add a fourth one. Verse 33, 34, 35, and 37 all say, stay awake. Stay awake with the data. Stay awake with the doing. Stay awake. And so I ask you as I've asked me. Do these four actions describe you? I mean, are you growing in these four? Really? Let me ask it this way. How would Jesus answer that? Is Jesus seeing in you and me less alarmed, less anxious, more on guard, more awake? Friends, the anticipation to the end should drive us to doing in the now. And what we should be doing in the now is those four things, and also let me just kind of lived out this way. Those four things lived out in us growing as individuals in Christ. And also us growing and making more disciples for Christ. And by the way, that's not just my job. And that's not just this church's job. If you're in Christ, that's every one of our job. Are you making disciples for Christ? We plant, we water, God gives the growth. But are we after that? Are we seeking to do that? Seeking to be that? Or are we sitting in a chair just waiting for it all to come? That's not what God wants. God wants us to be the kind of people that know, and out of that knowing, we are a people that are doing. So it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, and Wednesday's not over for the disciples. Next Sunday, Wednesday, or next, yeah, next Sunday, I'm getting my days mixed up. Next Sunday, Wednesday, will continue. And may I remind you, these guys have no idea of the horror and the persecution and the tribulation that is coming in their weekend. They have no idea. But wait. As we've been going through this gospel, we've already noted Jesus three times. How many times? Three times that we know of, Jesus has told the guys what's going to be happening. And yet, as we get in these next two months, as we finish out the gospel of Mark, we're going to find that these guys' minds were blown away. The truth of the matter is, they were off guard. They had fallen asleep. They were alarmed. And boy, did they get anxious. Imagine if the disciples, not just with the end times things, took these same biblical principles and lived them out in the week that's coming ahead for them. 
Imagine what would have happened if them as a team, when all of a sudden things went really cataclysmic with Jesus being taken, would imagine if they would have come around each other and helped each other. Hey, alarmed, we're alarmed. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus said, we're not supposed to be like alarmed, freaked out people. Wait, 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 what's going on? Let's help each other. I'm scared to death. I get it. I get fear. I get anxiousness. But wait a second. Let's help each other in this. Wait a second, guys. We got to be on our guard here. He just told us four times, stay awake. Something's going on. I don't get it. I can't fully understand it. And that may be okay. But we need to know this. We're marching ahead that way together. Friends, this is not just end time stuff. This is now stuff. And I conclude it this way. I do not know what's coming down the road. But I do think Jesus is coming soon. Doug, every generation has been saying that. Good. And if he doesn't come in my generation, then I sure pray that the next generation is thinking the same thing. He's coming soon. But friends, when you look at the timeline of what's been taking place, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, famines, when you take a look, I just say as Americans, we are so blind to what's going on worldwide over the last few hundred years. We are blind to it. Pay attention. Things are getting worse. And I don't know if Jesus is coming this week or if he's coming in seven years from now or three and a half years from now or 78 years from now. I pray we're alert and awake and marching ahead. I have no idea what's around the corner, but he does. By the way, If anyone says they know the date when Jesus is coming, run. Don't give money for the billboard with the date. It's heresy. Knowing is not doing, but knowing is to drive our doing. Lord, thank you so much for the time in your word. And God, we just pray that we would be a people that is more of this, more of what we've just been reading about in us, Lord. And Lord, as we look around, just the news literally in the last couple months, crazy. But Lord, when we come back to all this, As crazy as it seems, we are reminded you know exactly where it's going. It is all in control. And you are moving it to the perfect end. And oftentimes it's so hard for us to grab a hold of and so hard for us to understand because we are so feeble. We are. We need your help, Lord. And 
May we be a buckle it up people, joyfully pressing ahead. Hope of what's ahead. Doing what we need to be doing now. And that's more of you, Lord. More of you in each of us. And more of you in everywhere and with every person we go to. More of you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.